than they expected. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And they departed about time too, about not playing the ND. It was free all, and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable hands. Hello, Spencer here, aka Free Thrall. This is Keep Off the Bald Lads, and um, I've got quite a few things for you in this episode. A couple of call ins to respond to. Then there's an apology for me not doing anything with uh, Lone Eons yet, which kind of turns into a book report. <laughs> um, then I've got an unboxing. Uh, I talk about a couple of games I've played in. Then I take a quick look at a zine by Dan Sumption called Mostly Harmless Encounters. So let's do this. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is something else I was going to talk about. Oh, I despair. I, I've been having trouble with Anchor recently. Um, the app has removed the function to search for podcasts, which means that I'm no longer able to leave messages to my favourite podcasts through the app. This means that I have to go through the browser through the web page unfortunately on my phone i have firefox installed because you know i have issues with how google wants to know the ins and outs of everything unfortunately firefox won't <laughs> wouldn't work it wouldn't allow me to access the mic in order to leave a message so i had to install chrome which worked in the sense that it allowed me to record a message, it, it, it's just left me feeling a little exasperated. So my suspicion is that Anchor have removed the search function from the Anchor app because they want you to search, listen and favourite your podcasts using the Spotify app. Now, for me... The app is essentially completely useless. Now let's get to those calls while we still can. Hey Spencer, Jason here. Do not worry about the frequency of your podcast or any of that real life, the things happening in our homes, our families, takes precedence over hobbies. We, we understand that stuff, man. We're here for you. you. You know, thoughts are going out to you. Hang in there. As far as worrying about calling in the extended explanations in my show, um, 
I, I appreciate the thought, definitely, and I enjoyed you hearing the the extended um, cut, as it were, on your show. But I'll let you know a little secret. The amount of time you spent talking about your three choices on your show is half the time Barney spent talking about his choices on my show. Yeah, that's how many messages he sent me. Anyhow, talk to you later. Hey, Jason. Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And yes, I listened to that show and Tipsy Friday's back in full effect, isn't it? Um, What was interesting about Barney's ramble was his choices were almost the same as mine. In fact, my honourable mention, Call of Cthulhu, if you just swap out my honourable mention for um, the Black Hack, which was my number two choice, um, yeah, we picked exactly the same. I don't know what that tells you. Maybe I should start on my own Tipsy Friday. <laughs> but, um, yeah, as for the yeah me apologising for the frequency of my podcast, I guess... That's more that's more me really wanting to put out episodes more frequently than I've been able to. And as for the message at the beginning of the last episode, um, a couple of people got in contact with me following that. And, um, well, I, I didn't want it to sound uh, shady or untoward. There was anything weird going on. Just... Um, Essentially, it's, yeah, it's family stuff. It's the kind of thing that, sadly, we all have to deal with from time to time. And uh, and, and, and that's it, really. It's just um, just a difficult time for all concerned. But, uh, yes, thank you for your message, Jason. And uh, thank you for your concern. Cheers. Yes, dude, the legend of Vox Machina, man. <laughs> While it is absolutely not for everybody, and that's totally fine, uh, Spencer, it makes me happy that you like it, dude. <laughs> Because while you said the violence and the language and the sexual references are frivolous, they are also very reminiscent to the way my games tend to run generally, especially with my normal home group. That's just kind of the people we are. They all sort of go that way. Well, I don't think the cartoon is any more violent than your typical D&D game or really the swearing. <laughs> But yeah, definitely the sexual references and innuendos and just straight up sex are more than your typical D&D game. I mean, the only games I've seen even close to that are the ones that I run. So I don't know what that says. Anyway, man, good stuff. Peace out. Hi, Joe. Joe from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. Hold up. Nerds RPG Variety Cast? What am I thinking? You've clearly been on there far too much, Joe. As you all well know, that's Joe Richter from Hindsightless, obviously. And I have to say that when I was watching The Legend of Vox Machina, that is what it brought to mind. I thought, I bet this is exactly the kind of stuff that Joe gets up to in his games. Um... And that's great because it is, yeah, it was very entertaining. Um, I'm aware there are a few more episodes. And um, it was interesting. I, I, I did have a reluctance. And I think I, I mentioned in the last episode 
there was definitely a reluctance there from me when I sat down to watch it, not expecting to like it, and it won me over. And I'm not sure what that's about, whether it's about my preconceptions of what Critical Role is like. Um, I've never actually watched any of the, I've seen a couple of clips, but they've usually been related to some kind of controversy that was going on around, you know, social media at the time. So I'm not, I, I don't follow, I don't follow Critical Role at all. But I didn't find, I certainly didn't find that was a problem watching the show. Although you got quite a large party, quite a lot of characters there. They are very, you know, they're, they're all of certain stereotypes and you can get those characters pretty easily without having to go into too much detail about them. And yeah, it was just good, just good fun. Very easy watching. And as far as, you know, the sex and violence, that didn't put me off at all. You know, I only kind of mentioned that because it did have, it has got that kind of Saturday morning cartoon feel to it. Yeah, it's clearly, you know, the content is not kid stuff. But yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your call, Joe. Cheers. I'd like to apologise to anybody who's waiting to hear more about Lost Eons, Lone Eons. I haven't had the opportunity to play around with that more. I wanted to discuss the, the system itself, so apologies. But fingers crossed, that is coming. Um, however, I did manage to read, I say read, I, I managed to listen to the audiobook of Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness, which is a big influence on the setting of Lost Eons. And for anybody who's not familiar with that book, it's a very interesting read. I'm still trying to process it, I think, to a certain extent, uh, because it kind of deals with some quite big events, but they're dealt with from a, a very sort of, uh, from a human perspective. The majority of the book is written from the perspective of the, it, it, let's call it the, the protagonist, Gently I, also referred to as the Envoy, I think. Essentially a, uh, a diplomat, he's sent to this newly discovered planet that's colonised by humanoids with, with the hope of persuading them to join this sort of... Uh, like a federation, like an interplanetary kind of UN uh, that seems to be quite an egalitarian organisation where planets trade resources and ideas and it's all quite amicable. Um, but what's interesting about this planet that he finds himself on is that there's no real gender. People are essentially hermaphrodites who adopt gender roles I say gender roles here but what I actually mean is biological sex outside of the procreation they are sexless but they become biologically male or female 
Uh, so, so an individual can father children and also be the mother to some other children. And we had sort of seen this from the perspective of this male human who's um, clearly uh, struggling to get his head around the way things are done on this planet. It's just really, really interesting, engaging. I love the way Ursula writes. That's the first of hers, the first of her books that I've read, so or heard, should I say. Um, the, the, the story itself is essentially, uh, for me, the, the heart of the book is about language and how language illuminates as much as it obfuscates, how it sort of shapes our reality and solidifies the way we think about certain things and, you know, how we struggle uh, to accommodate new concepts. There's different cultures upon this planet who, you know, who have very um, different ways of structuring their societies. And uh, yeah, yeah, just really, really interesting stuff. So, um, so uh, yeah, yeah, that's my book report. I was fortunate enough to be involved in a session of those dark places last week. It was run by um, the creator himself, Jonathan Hicks, and it was a real pleasure to play with him. And it really sold me on that on that system. So simple, um, you know, which is always going to win me over. Essentially, it's a D6 system. It's one of those games I've looked at in the past. In fact, I do have the PDF and I've toyed with picking up a physical copy of the book, which I actually have done now, just because this session really sold me on it. Um, because I, I already feel that I've got games that are very much like that. I've got Alien, which uses the Free League um, Year Zero system. Um, I've also got Orbital Blues, a gorgeous book. I don't believe I've spoken about it on a podcast yet. I'll have to crack that open one of these days and have a flip through that. But um, that's um, it's a kind of blend of space western, space noir. It's the noir element that really appeals to me in that. And and I also backed the Mothership Kickstarter, which which is um, itself a space horror game not unlike Alien. But to me, Mothership has much broader scope. While, strictly speaking, I don't think Alien is hard sci-fi, it does have that hard sci-fi flavour to it. I don't, actually, yeah, you could, I, I, I'm sure you could argue either way whether Alien is hard sci-fi. Certainly when you look at the other, the other elements of that franchise. But... I digress. Um, what was I saying? Yes, my point being that Mothership, to me, suggests the incorporation of much more weird and wonderful things you could bring into that, even though it does have that kind of blue-collar element to it, which is very much what Those Dark Places does. But, as I understand it, although I haven't played Mothership, and I believe they've addressed a lot of 
issues that people had with the initial free version that was available with this uh, what they're calling their first edition which has been released as a box set which is the, the one I uh, backed on Kickstarter um, but there is quite a lot going on in that system although I, as, as I understand it it's quite streamlined those dark places is very simple it doesn't have an extensive list of skills basically you choose a position as a crew member on a ship um, you could be the helm officer navigation officer science officer security officer liaison officer engineering officer or medical officer along with those positions you can have a secondary skill secondary skill secondary position which uh, obviously allows you to do a broader variety of things so uh, in the game I played I was I was a science officer who had training in engineering your character has four stats charisma agility strength education and you distribute four three two one to those stats and that is added to that is the bonus that you add to your role whenever you're doing anything a task that your training covers your position then that task becomes easier so essentially you want to roll over your target number rolling under is a fail but if you roll the target number you get a complication which is an idea that i like that is actually something that features in my purer rules and it's such a simple kind of transparent system i feel you could do almost anything with it you could bolt almost anything onto it without worrying too much about the system breaking down um it does have this uh, a pressure mechanism which obviously works like stress or like a panic mechanic i won't i won't go into how the, the pressure thing works because um well it's just not coming to me right now and i don't have the book in front of me so apologies but um but it's, it's pretty straightforward so we, we played in this little scenario that um, uh, Jonathan is hoping to develop. Uh, essentially, the crew of the ship are awoken from uh, their, I was going to say cryo sleep. They're not, there's no cryogenics in this, as far as I was aware. The suggestion was that we were kind of in a drug-induced hibernation in these pods. There's no kind of stasis, no... Uh, suspended animation as it were we were just sleeping the crew were interrupted from their sleep and uh, had to deal with a rather pressing problem aboard the ship and i don't want to go into any details because like i say jonathan is planning to turn this into an actual scenario that it was a publish but yeah it was just really really good fun and um it certainly sold me on the system. Uh, it's an Osprey Games book. So I got it from their website. And um, yeah, sold. Hey, guess what? It's an unboxing. 
Um, this could be a couple of things. It feels quite, I don't know, what's that? It's kind of A4 size parcel. Um, could be a couple of things. But for either of the things I suspect it is, the box seems a little bit larger and a little bit heavier than it has any right to be. Oh, that should help. Oh, it is. Well, let's say it's the my second guess. I think this is from Lulu. Yes. Oh. I bought a couple of books, a bit more substantial than I'd imagined, but uh, certainly got my value for money there. Um, these are a couple of things I thought would be ideal for Into the Odd and also scratching the folk horror itch that I've been experiencing recently. Um, these are two books that I discovered on a website called Folk Horror Revival, which uh, it deals with all things folk horror, film reviews, book reviews, um, events, um, all kinds of stuff. And they've, they've published several books on folk horror, but uh, these are the two most recent publications and they focus on the urban weird so um folk horror revival urban weird one spirits of time and folk horror revival urban weird two spirits of place and um these really really looked interesting to me um and these are yeah these books are far more substantial than i'd imagined almost 500 pages each um, uh, they are a5 um, softback uh, let's have a look the forward of this book is not intended to explain what urban weird is the author adam scoville who originated the term urban weird gives us more insight into this in his introduction to this book Simply for clarity, this forward is intended to illustrate what urban weird is not, at least in the premise and purpose of this book. Urban weird is not simply folk horror in a built-up environment, though urban weird may indeed share some characteristics with folk horror. Urban weird is not any horror film slash story that is not folk horror slash rural, as some cynics have been too hasty in explaining. There are many non-rural horrors that do not fit the ambience, aesthetic and themes considered urban weird by this book. Urban weird, like folk horror, is not extensively linked to the horror genre, nor movies or literature. In this book, as we have done with previous folk horror tomes, we hope to illustrate aspects of the urban weird within other art forms, media, culture, history, and anomalous phenomena. There is no manifesto for the urban weird. It is not a rigid genre or style 
Therefore, any definitions given within this book are meant to illustrate certain features not to be taken as a gospel criterion. All opinions expressed within this book are exactly that, opinions which you, the reader, are free to agree or disagree with. So what then is Urban Weird? Read on and perhaps discover and decide for yourself. A couple of very interesting looking books there from Weird Harvest Press. That's Weird, W-Y-R-D. A bit of um, inspiration for when I ever get round to running into the odds. There we go. Ah, the uh, the serious horror game with Andy Goodman. I keep having to stop myself from saying Goodman's game. Um, although why, <laughs> why not? Yes, if you recall, a little Call of Cthulhu group were attempting a scenario where we emphasised the horror of the absurd situations. <laughs> that occur rather than emphasising the, the the comedic elements with a view to producing an unsettling tale of horror. And I think largely we were successful in doing that. There were fun elements that come out, but, you know, that's the nature of absurdity, isn't it? And I think, you know, a lot of horror benefits from levity as as we've discussed over on Grizzly Peaks Radio, um, you know, horror benefits from levity rather than necessarily being undermined by it. It's all about, you know, how these things are utilised. Anyway, um, I don't want to go into any details about that because spoilers, um, but you just had a great time being involved in that. And Andy has started up a Patreon, as you, you may well know, if you listen to Grizzly Peaks Radio, and uh, that's that's doing pretty well. Maybe you too could appear on Grizzly Peaks Radio. I think that's one of that. That's the top tier anyway. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, yeah, pop over there and have a look because uh, I haven't looked at it. I, I'm as uninformed as ever. Another thing I picked up is this uh, little zine here, Mostly Harmless Meetings by Dan Sumption. Now, I was going to say that I backed this as a Kickstarter, but I'm not entirely sure. I think I may have picked it up off of itch. Um, yeah, so this is Mostly Harmless Meetings, a real nice little zine. It's like the, the cover's some public domain art. A couple of images I've never seen before. And the cover is a, a lady um, who looks like she's in conversation with a, a frog standing amongst some uh, the ruins of uh, a church or something, it looks like. Church or castle. And on the back, there's uh, just a, a kind of menagerie of different birds and woodland creatures and a strange humanoid figure covered in hair standing in the 
centre of the picture with his arms aloft. So he appears to be holding a pear in the air. Um, but this was something I picked up that, because I thought it would go rather nicely with my own little game that I've got on itch called A Night in Vagalwood, which is something that I put together with the hope of playing with my children, at least my, my eldest. It kind of takes the purer system, but um, removes any reference to combat. I just wanted to see if it was possible to write some game rules without any reference to combat whatsoever. There's no hit points, but you do acquire um, kind of um, setbacks. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the word I used. Um, penalties, penalties that you accrue, which make um, challenges more difficult. The more penalties you have, the more challenging everything becomes. If the, if the penalties are relevant, of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, this a Night in Vagalwood is essentially a, a fairy tale dreamland where children, when, when children go to sleep, they wake up in this enchanted moonlit forest and um, have to either figure out why they're there or find their way back to the real world, that kind of thing, uh, very much loosely based on, well, sort of Grimm's fairy tales, Wizard of Oz, never-ending story, labyrinth, that kind of stuff. Um, yes, and I thought this mostly harmless meetings would be ideal to use in conjunction with that, or well, <laughs> to a certain extent instead of that, because though those rules there very light rules and it's just a series of tables for creating encounters but this mostly harmless meetings by dan sumption is d100 encounters well well let's let's have a read shall we hello welcome to mostly harmless meetings a zine of countryside encounters tiring of random encounter tables filled with monsters and treasure orcs and gold pieces semi-anonymous blocks of stats to be defeated and gathered up i decided to write this collection of vignettes of ordinary looking creatures with strange and wonderful backstories less violent more whimsical and hopefully more characterful the encounters listed here are largely inspired by english flora and fauna and folklore plus a large dose of artistic license I like to imagine them inhabiting an imaginary version of England's Peak District, surprising the native Peak Rills. Elves, dwarves and orcs have no place here, but everyone knows that fairies are real, that animals can talk and that the countryside is a strange, magical place. All of these encounters are system agnostic. No stats are given. I'll leave it to you to invent your own implementation details, hit points, saving throws, treasure values, and the like. These will depend upon the game rules you use, the type of campaign you run, and the mood you are in. And Dan goes on, but that, that gives you uh, a flavour of, of, of what this is. And I thought I would roll up a few encounters, just to see what we get. So here we go. Let's see what we encounter. 
61. A pine martin. Now, this is quite interesting because uh, pine martins are in the Scottish Highlands. My brother-in-law, who lives just a few doors down, I spotted one in his garden. Not great because he's got chickens as we have and uh, they do like to pick off chickens. So although, although, as far as I'm aware, we've not lost any yet. Um, but a pine martin is essentially, if you imagine like um, it's about the size of a cat, but um, like a cross between a polecat and a red squirrel, you're probably not too far wrong. So 61, pine martin. Dr. Fantofolos, <laughs> this is a good start. Dr. Fantofolos P. Conifer, carrying a vassal, wearing a Stetson and a stethoscope. The doctor's on an urgent call out, but could be persuaded to look at your ailments if you really think it's necessary. So that's um, a potentially helpful encounter. Eight. Eight beavers. Five beavers building a dam. The smallest of them, Dentifrice, wears a yellow hat. If supplied with tree trunks, they will gratefully carve you ornate wooden staves using their teeth, while Dentifrice stands alongside, making appreciative noises. Another one. 21. Dragonflies. A pair of dragonflies flit from perch to perch, occasionally breathing fire. If you can capture one and keep it fed on insects, it makes a charming alternative to a tinderbox, as well as a fascinating conversation starter. Just a, a nice little zine there. Oh, and um, the inch to my link. The inch to my link? The link to my itch page will be in the description where you can find A Night in Vagalwood, along with a few other unplay-tested games that you are welcome to peruse. And of course, they're free for all. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the and It was free to all, and I heard him say, keep off my borderlands. But just
back and let Spencer do his trick Cause you're incapable M's Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.